This is a true story. The events depicted in this SkyU podcast took place in Minnesota in 2020. At the request of the survivors, the names have been changed. Out of respect for U Street, the rest has been told exactly as it occurred. I am Goeyu Fur, uh, and this is our very special edition of the SkyU podcast about Fargo. With me this week is Fargo fanatic Blake Iowa Gopher. Oh, geez, happy to be here. <laughs> and Gopher Nation. Hey guys, making my annual podcast appearance. Well, you, you picked a good topic to show up for. I mean, we've got the new season of Fargo coming out here in five days, I believe, five days. Um, and I couldn't be more excited because there have not been enough new you know, media things to get excited about for me recently. Uh, I think we were going to do this sort of freewheeling, but... As long as we were kind of talking all things Fargo, you got to start with the movie, right? I mean, where it all started. Uh, the Coen Brothers film from, oh God, is it 96? Yeah, 96. I just looked it up. Yeah, okay, so 1996, Coen Brothers film, uh, where literally about five minutes of the movie takes place in Fargo, and the rest of it's in Minnesota. Uh, Blake, just when did, when did you first see Fargo, the movie? Well, obviously, I didn't see it when it came out, obviously, because I was five years old at the time. Uh, I realize that probably <laughs> that ages me, uh, or the opposite. <laughs> um, I think I saw it, I was I was pretty young, I want to say like 12 or 14, around that time I, I saw it for the first time. I think I was working my way through um, a lot of the Coen Brothers movies. Wait, hold on, hold on. You were 12 and you were working your way through the Coen Brothers movies? Yeah, I was a huge, if you <laughs> couldn't pick up by now, I was a huge geek. Uh, I still am. I mean, proud status, uh, 29 years strong. Uh, but yeah, I was a 12 or 14 year old working my way through um, the Coen Brothers filmography. So, uh, and you know, thank you to my dad, who I would just hand movies to a, a blockbuster, and he would just say, "This is all you want," without looking at them, and, uh, and I just go and watch them. Uh, but yeah, I saw it. Yeah, I saw it at a young age, uh, relatively young age, and I don't know if it quite had the same impact on me that it did a lot of people. Um, just because I'm so obviously I was immature at the time, didn't really grasp a whole lot of it. But it's just one of those movies that kind of sticks in your craw, and you just keep revisiting it over and over again. And I think you know that's part of the appeal of the movie. But uh, but yeah, it's one that's just like I I will remember the first time I saw it and what I was doing, like like the environment of it, just because it's a movie that I think really just sticks with you, and it's just unlike anything that else that I've ever seen. So. Tom, Tom, what was your experience with the with the film? I don't remember specifically the first time I saw it, and I'm trying to even remember if I saw it in the theater or if I saw it after it came out on what was likely video, uh, VHS tape. Oh God! <laughs> right, because DVDs didn't really get popular till about '98. Yeah, it was it was late '90s, early 2000s yep. when the first DVD. I think were the out. first DVD I ever saw was summer of '99, maybe. But anyway, uh, Fargo, uh, loved it right away just because I loved the dark humor of it. And it was like, you know, the quirky, funny accents. Meanwhile, there's all this just horrible things going on. Uh, it was just, it was so unique at the time. It was great. And then I remembered for for a couple of years after, anytime you'd go somewhere else and you'd be like, oh, I saw Fargo. Do people really talk like that? And you'd be like, well, no. Well, yeah, kind of, but no. Some, some, some of them. Yeah, I mean, if the further north and rural you get, yes. Uh, but it's not quite that bad, but it is. I mean, that was, that was going to be my question to you two, because I'm, I'm not from Minnesota. I didn't grow up there. Um, so I just I was curious, like, what it's 
places like in the Minnesota culture, I guess. Because I think it's it's just one of those pieces of pop culture that's like I think universally tied to Minnesota, whether people there like it or not. And I'm just I'm curious to how the state itself feels about it. Well, for for me, uh, I had a very unique experience growing up with this film. I didn't see it when it came out, but um, I lived close enough to Fargo, actual Fargo, North Dakota, that um, my local television stations, if they're broadcast, were all the Fargo stations. And so I remember when uh, the Oscars were happening, like all the local stations, all they're doing is talking about the parties that people are having in the city of Fargo. Uh, which, in retrospect, I find very interesting given that nothing about it but the name has anything to do with the city of Fargo. Um, I'm assuming Bemidji was also having, or Brainerd, I should say, Bemidji's in the, the show later. Uh, Brainerd, uh, I'm sure, had parties too. But um, I think for me, the experience at first was just, hey, this is a, a really apparently very good popular movie that's set in my neck of the woods, more or less. Um and I watched it, I think, probably about 99 or 2000, right about the time I went to college. Um, and I enjoyed it. But for me, it was my experience with it was I, I appreciated it a lot more the older I got, both because I think I could take some nuance, understand some nuance a little better, but also because the more of a Minnesota expat I became, the more it sort of really... I appreciated the little um, idiosyncratic elements of personality and uh, interpersonal interaction that I watch watched in the movie. And I'm like, okay, yeah, they're playing this up for effect. But at the same time, nah, that's pretty much how the passive-aggressive uh, passive people of Minnesota act. So uh, it kind of became a... A little bit of a touchstone for me and that's what i would hit on when i'd watch with people who weren't from minnesota is like okay the accent yeah some people have that but what you need to be taking from this is the passive aggressiveness and the way people um just kind of underplay sometimes uh what their real emotions are well i say like william h macy's character i know so many people like him that just that like boiling frustration beneath like that, that veneer of that kind nice like shit-eating smile like salesman attitude and I always just think back to his conversation about the true coat uh, with the with the guy that comes in to buy a car, and it's just yeah. There's so many conversations like so many conversations like that. Like you said, it's just it's like a touchstone. I mean, it just it it, it sinks into you. You swindled me, Mister Nygaard. And then when he oh, and then when he like I think he says um you, he says the f word, and he like you can tell it's like it's like <laughs> phys- physically painful for him to utter those. Yes, words. and. And that's exactly the sort of thing, like people swearing, but when they finally swear, they've had to hit some massive breaking point <laughs> to be willing to go there. I also find there's, especially with people from Minnesota in that movie, that there's a little bit of a, like, not really a willingness to admit the parts that are true, but also this very much like, well, yeah, Fargo's not even in Minnesota kind of a thing, right? <laughs> Or like we don't really sound like that when eh, maybe we do. Yeah, I'm 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 from farther north uh, than both of you. It's it, uh, I mean I've asked. Well, I you know I asked I asked my uh, fiance when we watched it for the first time. She's she's from the Cincinnati area. I said, you know, do you what what is your <laughs> like? Do you think this is how we sound? 
And she's like, well, first of all, as soon as we started watching the movie, your vo- your your uh, accent changed. She's like, your O's got a lot longer the second we started watching this movie. It also happens when when I watch hockey, apparently. I start sounding a lot more Minnesotan when I watch hockey. Sure. It's a trigger. Um, How about Prince? When you um, listen to Prince, does that do it too? Uh, you know, I'll have to, I'll have to test that yeah. one. That would, that would, I mean, it would make sense. It would be on part of the theme. Uh, but she said, my dad, my dad has a very, it's not, it's not cartoonish like the movie, but um, there's a lot of similarity and she can see where they played from. She's like, is your dad have a weird accent? And I'm like, no, his is pretty normal. She's like, yeah, then I can see where they would play that up. Cause it, she's like, the base of it is, is very accurate. I'll say that movie uh, has changed my life in some ways in that uh, I have this, you know, small list of some of my favorite lines from movies. I'm sure we all do, but they're just like these little kind of off the wall ones that most people don't ever remember. Uh, and, and when he's sitting at the bar with those two girls from White Bear Lake and the one girl says, oh, we're from White Bear. And the other one says, go Bears. Right, cool bears. That, and and also plus my affinity for mascots. Like I I love mascots. I know a lot of mascots for high schools and colleges. And so if I'm talking to anybody or getting to know someone, right, they'll be like, oh yeah, I went to high school at Mountain. I'm like go Mustangs. I like I'll interrupt every <laughs> single time if I if I know the mascot. Uh, Nobody well, ever I gets think, the joke. Uh, oh, that's well, that's sad. They need to catch up. Um, what was I, where was I going with it? Oh, the thing that I pulled out just the last time I watched in my head the whole time, you know, cause, um, uh, why am I blanking on the, uh, sh- uh the police chief's Marge, last name? Uh, Marge Gunderson. Yeah. Marge Gunderson. Margie, um, uh, her husband, uh, he's doing the, the stamp, right? And in my head, I, for years had just assumed Okay, they're talking about three cent and sounding like first class, but I thought maybe they were just talking about because you used to be able to enter paintings for of wood ducks and stuff for like um, the hunting passes and the hunting stamps in Minnesota back in the day, and I kind of thought that's what they were referencing, but it always bothered me that it sounded like they were talking about the mail because she talks about you get the three cent stamp and you got to use it when the postage changes. And which if you're one of our younger listeners, you have absolutely no idea what we're talking about because you've been around forever first class stamps since you were 12. Also, you don't use the mail. So (laughs) just bear with us in this period. Um, But uh, I looked up, finally looked up in 1987, you actually had regional stamp competitions for the U.S. Postal Service. So that would have been something that you would have done in Minnesota. You could have entered your your painting to become a stamp that gets released in the in the Minnesota region. So, fun fact that's that's a that's a real thing people did. It, they didn't make that up. I, I do want to add my favorite line since Tom got to talk about his. Um, it's one I use as often as possible, and it's when they're out by the crime scene at the car accident, and Marge says, "You know, I'm not 100 percent sure I agree with your police work there, Lou." <laughs> It's it's her voice as she delivers that line. It's that she's so gentle about it, and she's just like it's a, that perfect Minnesotan. Like I'm criticizing you, but I'm trying to you know let you down gently by not exactly that, explicitly criticizing you. If this was said in the South, she would have gone "Bless your heart." <laughs> I think. Uh, all right, so the movie 
uh, obviously was was a huge uh, huge success. Um, and then you go about, I guess it would be what almost 16, 17 years before the first season of Fargo comes out. I want to say it was like probably 2016, so almost 20 years. I think. Almost 20 years then, yeah. Um, and I, I remember when the first season was announced and there were just trailers and stuff. I, obviously, it's got Billy Bob Thornton as kind of the that's the face of the campaign. And I go, OK, that seems like it'd be cool. But then I was like, how are they going to do like what are they going to do? Like, I just didn't understand how they could possibly take that movie and do anything with it. And I was really worried it was going to suck. Um, of course, I should know better. This was during FX's really strong run of shows that they wouldn't just throw complete crap out there. Um, well, did you know they actually tried to do a Fargo TV series earlier? Um, that was a that you had Marge Gunderson as the main character. No, so they tried to do a. Um, I, I want to say it was like late late 90s they tried to do a continuation and it was a name actress um who was stepping into that role it wasn't Frances mcdormand but it was a name actress and i, I don't think it got off the ground but they, they originally they tried to do a fargo tv series which is that was a continuation of the movie with her character but it never got off the ground kind of like how they turned out of sight into a short-lived um karen cisco karen cisco yeah i do remember that Okay. I, I had no idea. I just, like, all of a sudden Billy Bob was out there. I actually didn't see the first season. Um, I actually didn't see the first season uh, when it came out. I, I saw the second season before I saw the first. I don't remember what was going on that I just really just didn't catch the first season when it was there. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think I, I, my, it was maybe my experience with the TV show is different having started with the second season. Um, so I'm going to let you guys talk, I think, for first season before, before I get into it. I mean, I was very skeptical of it, too, because, I mean, I, I wasn't sure what the setup was going to be. I don't, I don't know if right away they said it was going to be an anthology series that was different every season. I don't know if that was said immediately. Uh, but yeah, again, like you said, this was during FX's run, which included, you know, like the start of the Americans, Justified, um, Sons of Anarchy was good at that time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first two seasons when that show didn't suck. Rest in peace. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it had an all-star cast, you know, Billy Bob Thornton, Martin Freeman, um, Allison Tolman at the time was an unknown, but Bob, Go- Bob Odenkirk was on there, Colin Hanks, and um, I remember I, I was watching it from that first episode and just kind of being blown away by how good it was. Cause it's just one of those shows that on paper sounds like an awful idea, but just in execution, they nailed it. And I think what's cool is they I mean, it's, they acknowledge that Fargo is basically its own genre, this Midwestern crime genre. And I think building from that spot was the way to go. Um, because just building your own narrative from that genre and just kind of borrowing elements from different Coen brothers movies is, I mean, brilliant. Just a way to continue that series. And um, I mean, credit the writers, though, that have really excelled at, at creating at creating at least, we don't know what season four is going to hold, but the first three seasons, I think, are incredibly well written and just can each stand on their own, too. Like you said, you started with season two, which is its own independent story. I mean, it is connected to season one, obviously, but it's, it's it can stand on its own. Um, and you can say that of each of the three seasons. But yeah, I was just blown away initially by that first season um, just because it, it didn't have any right to be as good as it was. And I really think, and we'll get into favorite seasons later, but I really think the show found its own after that first season. But 
if it doesn't stick that landing in season one, I mean, we don't get seasons two, three, and four, obviously. So, I think, you know, any any world that gives us Billy Bob Thornton playing a pastor from Baudette. That, that, I mean, that's when the show sold me is when he assumes that persona is like episode three or four and he just becomes that. Um, and he says, go bears. Uh, that's one of the lines too. Oh, really? Uh, in, I don't remember that. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. They, that's one of their, that's one of their callbacks. Yeah. That, <laughs> that, that scene or that, that episode was like kind of what sold me is like, this is like something special. Yeah. And, and that, that goes right into my thoughts on the first season was, was first and foremost, when I think back to the first season was Billy Bob Thornton is one of my all time favorite TV show characters. And he was so good in that show. Um, and it probably, it probably, like you just said, it kicked off when he took on that persona of being the past of the pastor. Uh, but yeah, the whole season was just like, you know, it's, it's, it's the genre like the movie where it's, it's this really dark, but, quirky and it's quirky enough that you're laughing but there's some pretty heavy stuff going on i i first season was great and billy bob thornton was was really um what sold it for me and i started watching it right away i didn't uh i was pretty excited for it i didn't have the skepticism but i also like i wasn't invested in anything so i didn't care if it was gonna suck Uh, so i was in right away and and I was hooked after probably the first episode. A lot happens in that first episode. I mean, how can you not love a character named Lauren Malvo? I mean, and the names yeah. on the show are all fantastic. Yeah, and I like they they create. I mean, it obviously changes season to season, but the the little details about how they create this true crime universe, like uh, Lauren Malvo is. You know, obviously, a slightly more at the time Midwestern hitman, and he's working for that agency where they refer to you by wherever the name of your uh, assignment is, and just you know that there'd be a guy in some random insurance agency in New Mexico or Arizona or whatever that is, just uh, you know working the angles for all of uh, all of his hitmen. Just little things like that that, you know, they don't really spend any time talking about it. You just see it and you get to accept it as part of that universe. And it just, or, you know, we're, we're going to get to season two. But season two where the Kansas City mob is getting played like, you know, an emerging corporation, you know, with a research division. And, and they're literally going up you know, against a mom and pop uh, organization. Yeah. Like literally the the conceit of season two, I guess I am jumping us there, is the, that you know we're coming to the '80s, the era of big business. So they they use they use the backdrop of the end of small town America and mom and pops um, based on a crime story. It's just it's a real real ingenious way to to go about and allows them to reinvent when they try stuff like that. Um, I also really like just to stick with season one for a minute. You know, Billy Bob. Thornton did a really good job with the character. I liked, I like the, um, one of the theor- kind of the through fares of Coen brothers movies or when they have that kind of omnipresent, um, all powerful evil figure. Are you, are you thinking like Anton Chigurh and no country for old men or, exactly. or, or like the biker from, uh, raising Arizona? Like the- exactly. Just, just a, some, somebody who menaces with, out having to do anything really threatening just even tone 
the, just basically being so calm, but saying something so unsettling um, is just, it's a really, you don't see that done very often. And when it's done really well, it's a really effective way to, to, to create tension and to create a really interesting bad guy character. And um, yeah, I really liked that about, about season one. I also liked, I think, I think at first when I watched it the first time, I was a little bit, I felt a little bit like they treated Molly. They, they definitely did a Margie thing with Molly. And I was kind of like, okay, they may have overplayed how dumb uh, uh, Odorank's uh, chief character was and stuff. I, I, upon rewatching it, I felt like they developed and gave enough depth where it got past being just a copy or a, or a, uh, uh, homage to, you know, the movie and it became its own thing. Cause I like, um, what's the, what's the chief's name? Is it Bob or I can't think of the, I can't, I can't think of it right now either. I know it's not, it's, okay. it's obviously the actor's Bob Odenkirk, but yeah, I can't remember. The, the oh yeah. It's Bob Odenkirk. So what was the, it doesn't matter what his name was. Um, when he suddenly there's the whole little sidebar where he has that kid from, uh, somewhere else in the world who got lost in the Duluth airport. Like he was adopting him. He and his wife were adopting him. Like there's suddenly there's this, this depth to this character that had been so one note. And it's right about the time in the show when you're starting to get annoyed with the one note. And suddenly you're like, oh, this is an actual character. He just also happens to be an idiot. And you can just treat the idiocy as part of the character as opposed to like the only thing that's there. I say, I could I could not agree more in how just like whole, like rich and wholesome the characters are, and I think that's part of what um, makes it so endearing. Is like when you think of like a crime drama, you think of something in you know in cities like New York or LA or, or even noir, and it's just like it's, we very rarely get to see crime dramas like this take place in towns that feel like a place where we could have grown up or maybe places we live now. And I think the characters speak to that by how you know full and rich they are. There's definitely a, an element too of like a kind of a morality play. That was certainly part of the movie, and there's definitely always an element of that um, in each of the seasons so far, at least for the for the um, law enforcement officers. Each each season, the main law enforcement officer seems to go through their own moral quandary with just how messy is this going to get, and what am I going to have to do before this is over? All right, season two. We've talked kind of season one out. Season two. Season two is my favorite. I'm going to jump ahead. I'm not going to jump us ahead to talk about our favorites, but I'm going to just put it out there. Season two is my favorite season. Uh, I love, I think my my favorite uh, entire moment of any part of the movie, any of the seasons of the show, is when um, uh, Lou Salverson uh, runs into Mike Milligan and the Kitchen Brothers in the typewriter store. And uh, Mike talks about how, uh, you know, how nice everybody is. And, and Lou's like, yeah, well, we're a friendly people. And Mike's like, no, see, that's that's not it. It's You're very unfriendly, actually. But it's interesting how you are. You're, you're unfriendly, but you're so pleasant about it or nice about it or however he says it. And I've never heard a better encapsulation of Minnesota passive aggressiveness. Like, you're actually assholes, but you're so good at being nice about it. I can plus they got plus he got to do that Lou got to drop the line about uh or Mike Milligan dropped to, got to drop the line about being a prog rock band Mike Milligan and the Kitchen Brothers 
I say I can talk about season two for the length of this podcast. Before I share my thoughts, I feel like I got to get Tom's. Just I know he's been sitting there quietly, patiently waiting to drop his takes on season two. Oh, um, I really appreciated season two in that there was a lot of different storylines and characters going on throughout it, and near the end of the season, there's still a couple episodes left. And I thought, man, I care about every single storyline that's going on, right? It wasn't a show where they would jump to a different part of the storyline and you're like, eh, you know, whatever. But I cared about every single character and every single storyline more than I can ever remember. Well, and that cast is loaded. I mean, just, It's insanely loaded. Just go down the line, Patrick Wilson, Ted Danson. Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, um, Jeffrey Donovan, Kieran Culkin, Gene Smart, uh, Brad Garrett, uh, Bokeem Woodbine as Mike Milligan, and then uh, Zom McLaren, I think this was his first big role as Hansi. Um, and he's not even a name actor, but he's still, he'd probably be up there in MVP conversations with, you know, Patrick Wilson and Mike Milligan and even, you know, Kirsten Dunst. But yeah, like to what, to what Tom said, every storyline is so well written and so well acted. Like you, there's, there's no fat on this season in my opinion like they just it, they everyone brought their a game from the writers room to acting to directing and um to me it is my favorite season i, I agree with chris on that um and as chris said i feel like the first season was of the three seasons so far the most beholden to the movie and i feel like the show really f- took license to go out on its own and find its footing in, in season two um because i just really love you know it's one thing to the the theme of the Vietnam War, this is five years after Vietnam, takes place in the late 1970s. That's a running theme through the whole thing. And a lot of it's, too, about the futility of war because you see war between, you know, like the Kansas City mob and uh, the Dodd family and how that basically ends in so much bloodshed and all all that ends up is Mike Milligan ends up with a desk job and uh, <laughs> thinking that he was going to make it to the top opera- of the operation. But really after all that battle, that's, that's what's left to... Uh, uh, reward him with so but yeah that season I mean I love Patrick Wilson with Lou Salverson he's my favorite protagonist of the entire series and agreed uh, and I think Kirsten Dunst is easily one of the most underrated actors of her generation I think a lot of people think like bringing on Spider-Man with her but um, she's low-key done a lot of brilliant acting in her in her especially later in her career and I think she is um, fantastic in this show yeah because again that could be a one-note crazy lady character and instead it's like there's depth. She's tr- she's she's dealing with her own trauma, her own you know desire to grow, and it it takes her to a place where honestly she does go a bit off balance, but it happens in a way that it 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 makes sense. Like you can look at it and objectively go, okay, I can see the progression that drives her to to end up being the way she is. Um, well, I, I, would, and, I would argue there's not a funnier scene in the show than when she has um, Jeffrey Donovan's uh, character tied up in the cabin and she like and stabs she, him with the knife. And then he, when Jesse Plemons comes home and just and is like begging him to, to make her stop, I thought she's like, and like it ends on the perfect cut. He goes, "You gotta stop stabbing him." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like and there's that there's that perfect pause, like that extra beat of silence. Then he says, "You gotta stop stabbing him," and it goes to commercial. It's great. Um, I think looping back to season one for a second, it's definitely the most beholden, but it, uh, you know, in fairness, it probably had to be because you need to, I guess there had enough time had passed where you have people watching who have never seen the movie, but at the same time, you're, when you spin something off, you tend to have to 
at least keep it in the kind of the ballpark of what you're spinning it from so that you have a, a touchstone to the thing that people were interested in in the first place. And then once you do, what I think was interesting is the first time I watched it, I think it was, I just thought of it as a, the first season as a spinoff. And then I saw all the depth we talked about, but you're right. Season two, they just go and they do their own thing. And I think season two is when they really established the idea of a Midwestern crime universe. Cause they do that whole, like the book of Midwestern crime intro, um, into the Sioux Falls massacre. Um, and that really kind of, then the rest of the way, then you can look at each of the seasons through that lens as, oh, these are all chapters perhaps in that book. And, um, and also before I forget, this season two is also noteworthy for having a incorporating a UFO into the plot and never... Which I think a lot of people, that's probably why a lot of people turned off and, and won't say season two is their favorite because they don't understand the point of it. And I remember reading... Uh, an interview with uh, Noah Hawley, the the showrunner and creator of the series, and he said he views he doesn't like narratives that are tidy. He doesn't like it when you, as an audience, finish a piece of a show, a movie, and everything's tied up. He doesn't. He thinks that it ruins the creativity of being in the audience. He likes to do things in his narratives that don't have an explanation necessarily and then have you start wondering just have your imagination run a little bit so i think it's a weird way to approach it like it's not common but once i read that i started to be a lot more comfortable with well the whole alien thing because otherwise it kind of feels a little bit like a uh uh, you know, a convenient plot point, but they could have done that entire scene without it if they'd wanted to. Then that's what still would have been a strong scene. They didn't need it. It's just part of the way he wants to tell story, which is to incorporate narrative elements that don't necessarily have an explanation. And then you fill in the gaps for yourself, uh, which can then change your uh, interpretation of the rest of the story. I'll jump in and say that, um, I don't know. I, I was pretty ambivalent to the UFO portion at the end. Um, oh, don't get me wrong. I don't love it, but at least there was an explanation that made sense and could. Sure. I could get my head through it once I was given it. The first time I watched it, I was like, this was a wonderful season. Could we get rid of the UFO at the end, please? <laughs> I still feel as though, for me, uh, season two was my second favorite season. I liked season one a lot. Um, and it might have been because I, I got so enamored with Billy Bob Thornton, but uh, I liked season one more than two. Like, two was so good and so well written and so good from beginning to end. Uh, but I don't know, it just never grabbed me like the first one did. Do you think that's because um, it didn't have a single. I mean. Patrick Wilson does an amazing job as Lou Solverson. I, I can, you know, everyone else really does an amazing job within their their uh, arc for a character. But there's not a, I mean, Billy Bob Thornton, Lauren Melvo, like he occupies a space, kind of so to speak, uh, in that in that first season. That just there's not anything. There's no one actor or actress in the second season that 
occupies that same kind of space do you think it's because that was just so magnetic that that's what drew, drew maybe you? it's not that so much i mean i think that might be part of it but maybe it's more the story right that there was there was a number of different plot lines going on that were all so good but there wasn't one that that was you know maybe it was a spread a little too thin and there wasn't one that was really driving that i was super hooked on while i okay. really liked all the I will say uh, one thing I just thought of that is the reason that you keep the aliens in no matter what your reason for keeping the aliens is because you get that another great Peggy line where uh, she um, she's like, uh, hun, we got to go. Uh, it's just an alien and like taps taps. Uh, what's what's her husband's name? Jesse Clemens. Um, yeah, but what's the character's name? Uh, I'm trying to do by characters. It doesn't matter. She she taps him on the shoulder. She's like, we got to go. It's just a, it's just a UFO. And she does that little sing-songy voice of hers, and it's just like, oh, okay, that's it's worth it just for that. She was really good. She was. She really, she really was. was. Oh, he's it's Peggy and Ed. Peggy and Ed Blumquist. Peggy and Ed. Yes, Blumquist, the butcher, the butcher of Laverne. <laughs> they live on in legend forever. Oh God. Um, I will say too, I struggled right. to get past the fact that that was Landry from Friday Night Lights. That one took me a while. <laughs> I think I'd seen him in enough other things by then that that's why I was okay with it. I don't, yeah, I'm not saying it's a bad good. thing, but but yeah, when you have a character that that's like the first image you have for that character, it can be a little bit of a take you out of it. All right, season three. Season three was definitely the weirdest in my opinion. Um, it, it. I also think it was the slowest to get going. I think I remember talking to friends who were watching it and four or five episodes in, and I'm like, I don't know about this season. And then it just closed. I felt really strong, um, and the performances got really good for who, the you know the folks who were still alive at that point at the end. And it just um, I don't know. I like the way they brought it together. Um, I I will say I was not crazy about it um, after I first watched it after it first aired, um, and I would, that would at the time would have said it was probably my third favorite of the three seasons. But then I rewatched it and. I would agree it starts slow and really finishes strong, and I do think it's a season that benefits from, once you've seen the whole picture, it you're probably a lot more forgiving of those first several episodes because as they're airing week to week, you're kind of like, where is this going, you know, what's going on? Um, whereas once you see the whole story for what it is, the whole picture, I think it really comes together pretty well. And to me, this like the performances in this are uh, fantastic. You know, Ian McGregor is good, but I think he got out, outshone by... Um, you know, Carrie Coon as the Sheriff Gloria Burgle, David Thewlis as VM Varga is just one of the most repulsive characters the show has ever created. I mean, he's just nasty in so many different ways. And I think what, what I really connected to was just like the theme of the season, which was um, basically facts versus truth. Whereas, um, you know, Gloria believes in cold hard facts and, you know, finding out the truth of the story. And David Thewlis's character, VM Varga, is just convinced that you can shape the truth to be whatever it is that you want. Um, and that's just how he operates and gets through life and gets away with everything that he does. And I just thought that was interesting in this age where suddenly, you know, truth is subjective and there's two sides to every fact. And I just thought that was an interesting. Um, I don't know if that was intentional on Noah Hawley's part, but I just thought that that spoke to me, um, especially in this current climate. I will say one thing that uh, needs to change uh, if they bring the any series back to minnesota again they need to stop making cities the size of st cloud and duluth have massive skyscrapers 
it takes me i get i get like annoyed as a minnesota no there are no buildings that big Yep. Stop See, it. that's where the the Minnesotan comes in to like, oh no, that has to be more accurate than that. We're not like that. St. Cloud is tiny. I know. This this is why they're moving it to Kansas City in season four. They're tired of you, of you Minnesotans complaining about uh, accuracy. That's so fair. Just doing away with it. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, yeah, I I um. I think I think season three almost requires a rewatch. It, I I think. I don't know that I still think it's my third favorite season, although there are performances in it that are uh, among my favorites overall. I think it's just, I think I, I think I can take the, the kind of more standard narrative storytelling with a really compelling baddie in season one. And that that's enough to make it the second best season to me. Um, but I, the, the, the great thing for me is season three. Okay. It's my third favorite season. I still really like it. And it doesn't bother me that, uh, you know, it's not like I watched it and I'm like, oh, crap, that was a terrible season. No, oh, yeah. When you say, like, worst season in this context, it's like it's the least really good of the three seasons. All right. So we've talked about kind of what our favorite seasons are. Looking at season four, are you – it's kind of weird. It's the first time they've – I mean, Kansas City, it's not like they haven't mentioned it. Kansas City gets mentioned in – uh, obviously the the context of season two and it's a little interesting because you kind of wonder like how is this supposed to play out it's because it basically seems to be set up as uh, a, a mob battle between the Italian mob and uh, an African-American mob and the Italian mob obviously seems to have won by the time the the season two era of 1979 comes around so you feel like I don't know like you should know the answer but you Obviously, that's not how this show works, and, and something interesting is going to happen. Um, are you excited that they're moving f- away from the Minnesota Dakotas kind of spacing and, and going to somewhere else? Uh, I would say the fact, just the fact alone, the change of locale does not affect me whatsoever. But when you've got Chris Rock in the lead role, and then you're bringing Timothy Oliphant in as a law enforcement officer after Justified, that's just an ace in the hole. And I'm pretty much sold on whatever you want to do at that point. Yeah, I'm going to completely agree with Blake on that. Don't really care where the location is. It's still going to be the same genre, the same storytelling. Um, And when you bring Chris Rock in, it's going to be some great acting and some characters too. So I'm going to ask a question that's been bugging me in my own head um, across three seasons. Am I the only one who thought that uh, the first chief's wife, the chief who dies in season one, spoiler alert, but don't worry, it happens early, so it's not really a spoiler. Um, the the wife of the chief who dies in season one, Lou's wife in season two, and uh, Winnie, the St. Cloud cop in season three. I know they're different actresses, but I swear to God, I feel it's the same actress every time I watch all three. I would say, I feel like I, I thought... I thought the the actress that plays um, Lou's wife in season two, I thought she played Winnie in season three. So when I saw her in season two uh, during my rewatch, I was surprised. I was like, oh, I thought she was in season three. But yeah, that I don't know about season one, but I know season two and season three, Winnie and um, Betsy are, both seem like very similar actresses. So I, I could see that that being confused. Like I, I've had to double take and, and like go to IMDb just to convince myself like, okay, you are crazy. It's they're different people. Get a hold of yourself, Chris. 
All right. Um, I don't know. This has been a, a good little Skyu podcast. Uh, I, I don't even know how to close something like this. This, uh, I, you know. I think we should. We should. You know. Well, questions. Just question for you two. What are you more excited about? Uh, September twenty seventh, Fargo premiere, or October twenty fourth, uh, Gophers Wolverines. Uh, September twenty seventh, because I know it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, it, this week is just it's finally starting to settle in that October twenty fourth is a ways away. Um, so, uh, so I will take. That's moment, true. It I'm, really is. It's a full like I was just thinking of like even for the the site in terms of content like what we're gonna have to do over the next four weeks and I was like wow that's a, that, that's a long time between now and the start of the season so I think my excitement level probably is high right now for Fargo just because I'll take any instant gratification I can get uh, right now. And I, w- I want to stress again we know every week that Fargo will be on that, TV. That's true. Yes, that's also true. <laughs> I'm still I'm still not sold that we're gonna get all that much football. <laughs> Just because, uh, well, I mean, God, what we have three Power Five games canceled this week already. Well, we almost uh, we almost didn't get Fargo. Remember, his original uh, premiere date was in April, and so we've we've had to wait till September now. So we had to deal with the delay of that too. So that wasn't even certain for a while, but now we're certain they finished filming. So now we can safely know we'll see this season from beginning to end. So that's 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 reassuring. All right. Well. Uh, if you're if if you stuck with us, if you thought there was going to be sports, I gave you some just now, so you're welcome. Uh, we do uh, intend to continue on with a more traditional Skyu podcast um, here in the coming weeks. Obviously, we'll have much more sports to talk about, much more going on, or you know, lamenting to do if a game gets postponed. Regardless, there will be sports ball things to talk about. Um, I would not expect Fargo to completely disappear from our uh, our presence. Uh, I don't know when we didn't have football, we were going to do a lot more with it because it was gonna we had nothing else and we were gonna like do episode recaps and stuff. I don't know if that's still gonna happen, but uh, who knows? Maybe we'll do that to spice up uh, spice it up a little bit. But regardless, uh, thank you for joining us for this very special edition of the Skyu Podcast. Also, can I and, can I say? Uh, oh, we just want to. I just want to express my gratitude for Tom for blessing us with his presence. I know it's a rare treat to have him on the podcast, and I just want to make sure that doesn't go um, unspoken. I appreciate that, Blake. It is, it was a lot of effort for me to get here and spend time with you guys. We appreciate your. Oh, well, you know, he, I mean, he is he is the uh, he is the Godfather. You know, I mean, uh, the Godfather himself has decided to grace uh, grace us with his presence. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he—it's this is his damn house. He lives 15 feet away. And if anyone knows what I'm quoting, uh, you are my new friend. Uh, but in the meantime, go Gophers, Skyuma, row the boat. Mm-hmm.